invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. And working our way through uh, this great letter of the Apostle Paul, uh, one in which, even as we see in the verses before us, uh, was astonished. Uh, Paul was astonished that those who had uh, received his gospel, that salvation is found only in believing in Jesus Christ, who delivers them from the present evil age and brings them, as he's going to talk about later in chapters 5 and 6, into a new creation, that they are now reverting back uh, to trusting in their works, trusting in what they are doing um, in order to be right with God. And so throughout this section, especially in chapter 3, but we saw also in the end of chapter 2, is this great divide that within the courtroom of God, what matters completely and totally is faith. And and so Paul draws this great divide between those in the courtroom of God who believe faith in Jesus Christ and those who trust the works of their hands, the works of the law. That's the divide in this text. Hearing by faith or the doing of the law, which holds in the courtroom of God. And so the Apostle Paul is going to deal with these things in an introductory way here in these first five verses. And he's going to draw out some of the significance um, later, especially as he's going to go on to appeal to Abraham in order to get behind the giving of the law through Moses. Uh, But here in chapter 3, the first five verses are kind of like a a machine gun of questions that the Apostle Paul asks uh, to the Galatians, that they might be shocked out of the stupor that has come over their eyes. And he talks about them being bewitched, them being, uh, in a sense, under a spell because they are wandering from uh, the gospel that they once heard. So Galatians chapter 3, and these first five verses are five questions that the Galatians are to reflect on and five questions that we are to reflect on as well as the people of God. So listen carefully to the holy and inspired word of God. Galatians 3 verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? When our reading of God's word there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this word, a word that humbles us, a word that challenges us, uh, but ultimately a word that keeps us close to Christ, to walk by his spirit. So we pray that this word would have its full effect upon us and that we would be convinced in our heart of your truth and uh, that we too would live not by the works of the flesh, but by hearing of faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, there's times in our lives where we may not perceive uh, the significance of the reality that we find ourselves in. I'll give a very trite example. Um, I can remember waking up, probably happened maybe once or twice at all, but I can remember waking up and uh, at elementary school, maybe middle school, and doing the normal routine, right? You wake up and you're getting ready uh, for school. Maybe you're, you're brushing your teeth, you're packing your lunch, and then you open the door and you realize 
there's a lot of snow outside. And then you check the news, you hear the radio. Back in the day, it was the radio. I mean, I'm not old, but uh, back in the day, it was the radio. And you put it on, and you listen to, you know, were, were we, uh, is school canceled? And you find out it was, right? And so a very trite example, right? But you wake up doing things as if things were just the normal routine of life, but you come to find out that actually today's a different day. There's something new about today that's not routine. Think about the ancient, ancient days. Um, at times, a new king would come to the throne. A new king would be seated upon the throne. And if you were somebody who simply uh, continued to live under the old order, under the old king, didn't realize a new day had dawned, well, then you would be somebody uh, who was not perceiving reality, perceiving the state of affairs, perceiving what was the, the, the order of things. And to give one more example, when Jesus had been raised from the dead, he appears to these two disciples as they're walking the road of Emmaus. And he begins speaking with them. They don't perceive who he is. They don't perceive what, um, that he is the risen Christ yet. And he begins to ask them about what, what took place here in Jerusalem, what took place most recently. And they begin to explain to him about, you know, there's this one who we thought was the Messiah, but he's been crucified. Um, and Jesus then turns to them and he says to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures uh, the things concerning himself. Right? These disciples, prior to Jesus revealing this to them, were not perceiving the reality of things. A new day had dawned. Christ had, has now been raised from the dead. A new reality has settled in. And it took them a moment to perceive these things, right? So we, are, we ourselves can be often slow to perceive the order of things. We can be slow to perceive uh, the nature of things and the reality of things. And at times we can even forget the reality of things and revert back to old ways, old ways of thinking, old ways of acting. Our lives can reflect it. I'm sure your life can reflect something of that as well. And that's what we see with the Galatians, right? They had received this gospel to find reality for them. Define what was real, define the fact that deliverance was only found by faith in Jesus Christ, and they've forgotten that reality. And in a sense, Paul says they've been bewitched. That's why Paul twice calls them foolish. Oh, foolish Galatians, right? Verse 1. And then he says to them um, also, uh, verse 3, are you so foolish? Right? The fool, throughout the Bible, is the one who does not live in accordance with what is real and what is true. In fact, the fool is the one who does not live according to the word of God and instead does not perceive reality according uh, to what God has said. That's why in Proverbs we read in a positive sense that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, right? The wise person is one who fears the Lord, which means he trusts the Lord, humbles himself before the Lord, lives according to his word. But the fool is one who does not perceive the fact that God is the one who reigns over all things. God is the one uh, who he is to trust, not his own sight or not his own eyes, but what God has said. And so, kind of tying all this coming back to Galatians, right? the Galatians, right, Paul calls them fools, not because he's just off, you know, off the handle, angry with them necessarily, but because they are embodying that which is foolish, They've, they're moving away from what God has said to them in the gospel. 
And they're moving away from that reality. And so as we, and then, so Paul then asks them these five questions to sort of shock them back into reality. Shock them back to say, to recognize the folly of their ways. And so even as Paul gives us these questions, right, they're good reality checks for us. Uh, they're good reality checks for you maybe to think about as well in terms of the Christian life. How it begins, how it ends. And so we reflect upon, um, just as the Galatians are to reflect on the basis of these questions, so too uh, we ourselves are to reflect on um, our own lives, our own experience, um, according uh, to these questions. And so our five points are just going to be following these uh, five questions here. We'll just look at these five verses um, somewhat briefly because Paul's anticipating a lot what he's going to develop, develop further in later uh, passages. So uh, we won't take everything that we can out of these verses. Um, we'll save some for later verses, uh, sermons. Uh, but Paul asks, as I said, five questions. And so notice the first question that is asked to the Galatians and that we might ask ourselves. Paul says, verse 1, Who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Right, so Paul is so astonished with what he's hearing about the Galatians, it's as if, as I said before, they have come under a spell. Paul's astonished that they would abandon the reality that they believed and received previously, namely the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says that in this gospel, when, he, when the gospel was preached to them, the, the centerpiece of that gospel, the heart of that gospel good news, was Jesus Christ crucified. In other letters, the Apostle Paul will say that I wanted to know nothing among you except Christ crucified. The heart of that gospel was Christ crucified. You might ask the question, well, why is Paul emphasizing the crucifixion of Christ here? Why bring and remind them that when they heard the gospel, Jesus Christ himself was, was, was as vividly portrayed to them as if they saw him with their own eyes as crucified? Why bring their eyes, bring their focus, bring their, their, their gaze to the cross of Jesus Christ? Right? It's an important question to ask if you want to understand what Paul is saying here. Why the cross? What does the cross have to do with them here in Galatians? Well, the reason the Apostle Paul reminds them and puts before their eyes again the cross of Jesus Christ is because the cross of Jesus Christ was the loudest exclamation point that God could make that law-keeping will not justify you. God could not have made a louder declaration than to say that Jesus Christ, his son, crucified on the cross, is there because law-keeping won't work. That's the reality that Paul is revealing to us here. Christ crucified says the law cannot save you. It's why Christ came. He died because we're lawbreakers. He died there because we have, we have broken his law. We cannot keep it. And so that's why Paul is just astonished. You saw him there. You saw him on the cross dying not for his own sins but for sinners. And you're turning back to the works of the law? You know this. 
This is what Paul is saying to the Galatians here. Who has bewitched you? Who put a spell over you that you would have once seen Christ crucified? And now turn back to thinking that the Christian life is lived by the flesh or by obedience to the law rather than by the Spirit. The cross of Jesus Christ is God's boldest, loudest exclamation to the inadequacy of the law to produce righteousness and to make us right before God, period. So Paul is saying here, who has bewitched you? So brothers and sisters, right? It's again a question we need to remind ourselves because we're very prone, as still in the flesh, to want to trust ourselves, to go back and revert to these things. And so we need to constantly hear the gospel of Christ crucified, to know that I am, I am right before God, not on the basis of what I have done, but what Jesus Christ has done for me. And what I have done is law-breaking. And what Jesus Christ has done to, to, to save me from that, and the penalty of that, is he died for me on the cross. And therefore, on the, on the basis of the death of Christ, the law is shown futile to save. In fact, as Paul's going to go on to say in Galatians, you know, the why then the law, he's going to answer that later, so we won't get there yet. Right, the law serves a purpose, but it wasn't to save. The promise had been given before the law. Faith alone is meant to save. The Belgic Confession reminds us of this. It says that we believe that the ceremonies and symbols of the law have ended with the coming of Christ. Right? The Galatians are trying to go back not only just to law-keeping in a general sense, but even to many specific things like circumcision, dietary laws, keeping a certain calendar. Right? All of these things that were stipulated in the Old Testament— But we say that on the basis of Christ's coming, the ceremonies and the symbols of the law have ended. And that all the foreshadowings have come to an end. So that the use of them ought to be um, abolished. In some sense, you can say that the crucifixion of Christ was like that final Jenga piece pulled out from the bottom. The law and the tower of the law crumbles. That's why Paul says previously, why are you trying to rebuild what was torn down? Why are you trying to go back to these things, right? As Peter was requiring the the Gentiles, uh, rather uh, withdrawing from the Gentiles because they didn't keep certain cleanliness laws. And right in doing that, he was rebuilding what had been torn down. Christ's death tears down the law that served a temporary purpose for the people of God. So again, a question that we must reflect on daily. Question that we are to reflect on daily as we have seen Christ crucified. The second question that the Apostle Paul asks comes in verse 2. Paul says and asks, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit? Right now he's going to get at their experience, right? And this, in this first question has to do with, with their conversion, when they came to faith, they came to know Christ. He says, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law, or by hearing with faith. All right, so, so did you begin the Christian life by works of the law, right? Was it in a sense that you, you kept a certain amount of the law, you, you compiled for yourself a bank account of law obedience, and now you're cashing out and, and saying, now I'll buy the Spirit with these works. I'll receive the Spirit now. Look how much I've done. Paul's saying no. That's why he wants them to reflect on this. 
You receive the Spirit not on the basis of the works of the law, but by hearing with faith. You receive the Spirit not by works. When if you relate to works, you're a worker, you're a doer, right? Doing the law. Paul's saying not as doers of the law, but as believers in Jesus Christ, hearing with faith, you have received the Holy Spirit, right? This is the beginning of the Christian life. Paul says this elsewhere, that, right, how shall they believe if they've not heard? Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. That's what he's talking about here, reminding the Galatians of that very truth. You began the Christian life not by offering up to God works, but by believing. Right? That's how the Christian life begins. That's how your life, if you are in Christ, began by faith. Hearing the gospel message, hearing that Christ has come to save sinners, hearing that, that God raised him from the dead, and hearing, as Paul says in verse 4 of chapter 1, of Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, hearing that good news and, we, and believing that message is how you were converted. It's how you came to Christ. It's how you, you have begun the Christian life. It began by faith. Right? Paul's reminding them of their previous experience. And they're like, yeah, you're right. You're right. I, it began by faith, not works. It began by relating to, to, to what God has said and hearing it and believing it, not in terms of, of doing. And so that is how the Christian life begins. And it's a radical message. It's a message that actually sounds nice to our ears at times, but other times it's very difficult, right? We don't typically like freebies, especially New Yorkers here, right? We don't like freebies. We want to earn something. We want to work for it. We want a handout. But what, what Paul's saying here is that what you could never earn, what you could never obtain for yourself, the Spirit who brings all, and we're going to talk about all the benefits of Christ, all of salvation to you, There is no amount of works you could have ever done to earn them. And therefore, receive this free gift by faith. Receive it for the glory of Christ's name. So Paul is, again, asking them questions, getting them to reflect upon their starting point. And we need to reflect on our starting point as well. You need to reflect on yours. Began by faith. It began by faith. Third question that Paul asks are you so foolish, right? Because he reminded them of their beginning, but now he's going to talk about their current way of living, their current, what, what they're doing in, in, in deviating from that starting point. He says, are you so foolish? Are you no longer perceiving things rightly here? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? If it didn't begin by the flesh, and the flesh has to do with the things that we can do, we can control, we can offer our merits, our whatever it is, like that, that's what the flesh has in mind here. He's going to use it later to contrast it, a further contrast between the spirit and the flesh. And there the flesh has more of a negative connotation. But simply here, I understand flesh should be simply that of what we do. It's how we relate to the law, the laws that which relate to by the flesh, by what our hands um, can ultimately do. So Paul's saying... You began by faith. Are you now being perfected? Right? Are you now on, way, on your way to the end, the goal, by means of doing, by means of works, by means of the flesh? 
Or are you continuing by the same spirit you received by faith? Paul is saying that the Christian life not only is to begin and does begin by believing, by which you receive the spirit of Christ, but it continues to the very end in that same manner. By faith. By hearing. That's why we come every Sunday. It's not a matter of hearing the gospel one time and now we uh, simply can do whatever we want and never need to be reminded of this gospel. No, because the Christian life is one in which we have not yet arrived. We recognize that the journey there is one not now of offering works in order to be justified, made right with God, but instead it's one of continuing to believe the gospel message, one of walking by faith, not by sight, one of walking in the Spirit, because it's the Spirit who renews us. Right? The Christian life from beginning to end is filled and defined by the Spirit. Why? Because the Spirit, as Paul teaches us elsewhere, especially in Romans 8 into Romans 9, but we won't turn there uh, for the sake of some time here, but right, the Spirit the Christian life is lived in the Spirit from beginning to end by faith because it's only in the Spirit that we are brought into fellowship and union with Christ. The Spirit unites us to Jesus Christ so that as a branch draws its strength from a vine, so too the Christian life is one of drawing strength from Christ, not the flesh, but from Christ. And we do so as we walk by his Spirit. And so Paul says, are you so foolish? Because right there, they started by faith, and now they're thinking to supplement that with their works, to supplement that with their flesh. Paul is saying that is foolish. And if you are living like that, then you are not perceiving rightly the gospel. You're not perceiving things correctly. And so, again, as we think about the beginning of our Christian life, but as we think about the journey of our Christian life, are, are you trusting in the flesh? Are you trusting in what you do? Or are you continuing by the Spirit, by faith? Doesn't mean you're, right? Doesn't mean you're lawless. Right? Paul's going to talk about later the fruit of the Spirit. Right? He's going to talk about the fruit of the Spirit being produced in our lives in terms of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control. Those are the things that are going to mark us as those who are filled with the Spirit. So it's not lawlessness. What Paul has in mind here, why he's drawing this contrast, is not to say, okay, therefore by the Spirit you could be lawless and to do whatever you want. But he's saying that, no, when we walk by the Spirit, we, we draw strength from Christ, we hear his gospel message, and we offer up our, 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 our obedience to God, not to be justified and have a right standing before him, but because we have been filled with his Spirit. The same Spirit who cries in our hearts, Abba, Father. It's the obedience of a son. Not the obedience of a slave. It's the obedience of a son who knows his father loves him. That's what we are called to do and we continue in the Christian life. That's what it means to walk by the Spirit. To walk as sons and daughters of God, filled with his Spirit. And knowing that as I, as I, as I seek to please my father, it's not to win his approval. I've already been received that. Right? To think I need to win his approval is to walk by the flesh. Trust in the flesh. Now the Christian life begins and ends in the spirit by faith. The fourth question the Apostle Paul asks has to do 
with their suffering, which is quite interesting that, right, Paul had speak, spoken earlier, just a few verses before, about Christ crucified, right? That, that, that exclamation point regarding the inadequacy of the law and the inadequacy of law-keeping to be saved. Now, Paul is saying here and speaking and reminding them of them taking up their crosses and following Christ, being conformed to the image of Christ through even persecution and suffering. Notice the fourth question, verse 4. Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Right. So these Galatians had heard the gospel, and they suffered on behalf of it, being conformed to the image of Christ. They took up their crosses. They followed Christ. And now he's saying to revert back to the works of the law, which if you kind of do some mirror reading and, and, and bring in some other portion of this letter, it seems one of the reasons that they wanted to go back to the Old Testament law was to avoid persecution, was to avoid suffering. And so to go back to the law rather than trusting in Christ and going forward despite the persecution, again, is one of trusting in the flesh. And so, brothers and sisters, right, we might ask ourselves that question too. Do, have you reckoned with the fact that you have been made alive in Christ and that following Christ requires you to take up his cross? And taking up your cross is a matter of dying to this world and this world actively hunting and persecuting as it's led by Satan himself, right? As, as Satan himself hates the people of God, hates the church, but the Christian life is one in which we are conformed to the image of Christ through suffering. And Paul is saying here that the way in which you persevere through that is by faith. Trusting the message you had heard, hearing by faith. This is why, you know, the Apostle Paul says in Acts 14, actually previous to that, right, they're, they are... Um, uh, beat and they're flogged for the sake of Christ and they rejoice in that because they know that a greater glory, a greater treasure belongs to them in Christ than this world could ever offer, right? You can only suffer in this world by faith and to persevere in that by faith. Apostle Paul says or in Acts 14 we read that when they heard, when they had preached the gospel to that city and, they, and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Right, so there's a Christian life as it begins and ends by faith, so too the persecutions that come, the suffering that comes, is endured by faith alone. To, to, to recoil from that and to avoid persecution by denying Christ is to trust in the flesh. That's what Paul is getting at here. But he's saying that we instead persevere um, by faith and that our suffering for Christ, as he says at the end of that question, certainly is never in vain. It's it's accomplishing something. And and I have kind of was struck by this to think about Paul's letters, right? You might think of somebody you love and, um, you know, they have um, maybe some some trials before them uh, for the sake of Christ, right? They're owning Christ. They, they belong to him. They're living for Christ. And you know that what awaits them for this is, is suffering, persecution, even possibly death. And, and most of the New Testament letters are written with that perspective. And our tendency maybe naturally might be to say, how can, you know, to think, how can they avoid this? Like, how can they get around this? But, 
but Paul, and in read the letters to the Hebrews as well in the New Testament, Paul, instead of having them skirt around this or to try to scheme with them to get away from this, Paul and the author to the Hebrews encourages them and strengthens them that they might persevere through it. Because Paul knows that as the people of God, we are to take up our crosses. We're following Christ. And Paul himself said, I've died to this world. I've been crucified with Christ. And that's how we are to reckon ourselves as well. So faith began with it, continues with it, and even moments of, of trial and persecution for the sake of it, it's by the Spirit that we persevere by faith. The final question that Paul asks, verse 5, is one that he now moves away from their experience, right? Um, who has bewitched you, right? He's speaking to them directly. Now he begins to speak about God himself. He says, does he, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so, again, that contrast, by works of the law or by hearing with faith? It's, again, it's meant to just put a point on what Paul has been saying all along. All, the way in which God has supplied you with his spirit is not because he received your works, but because you believed the message that he has brought to your ears. And therefore, as we think about who God is, right? Paul's point here is not for us simply just to think about our own experience, our own actions. Right? Paul's argument brings us, you could say, into the, the heart of God. Right? Does he who supplies you, the Spirit, do so by works of the law? What kind of person would do that? A demanding person? Uh, a tyrant? Uh, maybe a business person, right? You've got to pay for something before you can get it, of course. Right? Works of the law. Did he supply you with that because you earned it, because you deserved it, because you... Um, um, had enough merit and, and righteousness in yourself to receive the Spirit and with the Spirit all of the blessings of salvation? Right, what kind of person would that be? But what kind of person supplies the Spirit to those who simply hear with faith? One who is gracious, one who is merciful. One who is kind, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness to his promises. That's he who supplies the Spirit. That's, I think that's why Paul's, as he's asking this, these you know, machine gun questions, all these questions to him, right, the final question brings him back to the very heart of God. God does not need your good works. God does not need them. And God certainly doesn't, can accept them as if they could earn righteousness before him. Rather, God is one who is defined by his love, by his grace, by his mercy. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That's what Paul is telling them to live by. That's why he calls them, again, he said, calls them fools because they've, they've moved away from that John 3.16 reality. So simple. And he's calling them back to it. And he's going to give them further arguments uh, to do so. He's going to explain why then the law, if we've been speaking so negatively of it, right? It has a purpose. But it's certainly not to justify. The cross of Jesus Christ makes that very, very clear. The cross of Jesus Christ 
is God's exclamation point that he alone saves sinners. Sinners do not save themselves. And that it's Christ who has delivered us and gave himself for us. And he's delivered us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Let us continue in that will. Let us walk faithful to that will. And let us live and see our lives in and according to the will of God in heaven. Our Father, who has given us his Son, who has given us him, whose Son has loved us and calls us then and gives us all of these great benefits of salvation, not by works of the law, but by faith and hearing the gospel message that re- by faith, hearing it, receiving it, because receiving and hearing the gospel message is to receive and hear Christ himself, to be united to him. And just like his father, Christ is deeply generous. He shares all that he has with his people. He shares it all with you. If you have believed in him, he shares with you life everlasting. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for uh, your word that um, can be hard at times and a word that challenges us. Uh, We thank you for the questions that the Apostle Paul asked the Galatians. We thank you that these questions are, are brought before our eyes. And so, Father, help us then as we reflect on our own experience through the lens of your gospel and light of the scriptures, uh, that we too would be those who continue by faith, that we would receive Christ and his spirit by faith, hearing the good news, and that we would continue to the end, not by trusting in the works of the law or by our flesh, but by hearing and hearing by faith. And so, Father, help us in that regard. Grant us your grace that we might honor and glorify your great name and your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.